Matt, there has been some tremendous podcast news the last couple of weeks. Reports are that Barstool Sports has been valued at over $450 million and is being bought by a casino. Other reports, the, the Ringer Podcast Network, owned by Bill Simmons, that's a sports and, posture, uh, sports and culture podcast network. Uh, they're in talks to be acquired by Spotify for uh, roughly, uh, speculation is $200 million. Whoa. So I have two questions for you. One, how much is software-defined talk worth? And two, <laughs> who is going to be our white knight and buy us? Okay, so, so um, I'm ready to convert to an all-sports medium. I, I, I don't actually pay that close attention to sports, but you know, if the price is right, I'm ready to talk. <laughs> no, no, Matt, um, you don't understand. Like our value is the audience. This is how they're being valued. We bring uh, a unique audience and be, the they're audience being is willing to come along. Trust yeah. Me. And so <laughs> my point is that they're being acquired by, I think we'd say non-traditional media properties. So, so I was thinking, yes. for example, for us, like potentially like would HEB buy us as part of their digital, uh, move into digital marketing. Cause we have this crossover technical taco, Carb, uh, carbohydrates in general, and then just grocery yeah. shopping. Like that is, I think that is that's a real out of left field acquisition that I was thinking. That's an audience and, that we could bring. A, you know, we could be part of the Costco radio network. <laughs> I think Costco is another one. I think the other one was like, do you, is there like an international travel um, like agency that like we they could help us because we've done so much to promote international travel. Like two Americans go abroad and rediscover. I think you've talked about your love of kangaroos. Cote's talked about <laughs> numerous things about how Europe is better or worse than the United States. Like, I mean, maybe we need to get in on this Brexit thing, right? Like, mm. there's going to be an opening for a podcast that can bring the technology and international travel. Maybe, maybe an airline, you know, would Qantas jump in here and get us, right? Uh, that, that that all sounds 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 pretty good. Uh, What's yeah, our number, though, yeah, Matt? I, that's that's what I need to know. When people call us, because I will be representing us as the, in all business development. All right, what's the number that I can just like? I, I don't even have to check with you. I'm like Matt. Uh, I don't. I don't even need to call Matt. I got this. All right. You know, I, I I've seen the uh, the shutdown full cast, fullback uh, podcast. Um, they've been trying to get the Bloomberg campaign to give them money. So uh, I think they offered to uh, endorse him for nine hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um. I think that might be a good number. Okay, nine hundred thousand right? dollars. All right, because it's like it's kind of below that one million dollar threshold where you maybe oh, get, yeah. maybe yeah. they have to go get additional approvals. It's like, hey, let's just keep it from, small from from Bloomberg's petty cash drawer. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's great to know. Well, we are software defined talk. He is Matt Ray. I am Brandon Witcher. We are the only podcast that really covers both Kubernetes and carbohydrates. I've been getting a lot of uh, <laughs> feedback this week about the bread talk. Don't worry. The bread talk can can uh, can keep coming. And a quick uh, quick aside, because we've had some uh, some early listener feedback. The one thing I think we pride ourselves on more than anything here is our knowledge of tacos. Above all else, tacos. A listener was flying through Sweden and he sent me a picture uh, that is on, it is up on the uh, software defined talk Instagram, which I'm sure all of you are subscribed to. But it is what I would call a candy taco, and it is Ooh. unacceptable on every level. Like I don't want to see. A candy taco. Like I don't believe candy and tacos. There's not even like it isn't something to make a good candy out of. And also too, I think their their if you will their candy representation. I think this was out of Sweden. I, I think they have it all wrong. I don't think that, it's like pink. It's not red. Not red. I'm not. So I, I was going to say for all of the Nordic region, um, evidently from what I'm reading, you have tremendous health care and good for you. But your taco knowledge is weak. 
I mean, that is weak. It is unacceptable. So yeah, I don't know if we're going to have to send Kote up there. No uh, Ludovic tacos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to see a candy taco. Make a real taco, right? I mean, don't, don't, don't do any of this. So, so again, you know, again, to our friends in Sweden, we think you're doing a great job. Work on your taco stuff. That's yeah. that's really important. So, fan, fan, um, fan of all the other stuff. Way to be, way to be, you know, top top one or two in every other. Yeah, like life world. expectancy is great there. Healthcare is great. Quality of life is great. I mean, all of that is good. But I mean, if you're not going to try to lead the nation in tacos, you're not trying. You know, or the world in tacos rather. So, so please, please put some emphasis. You have a lot. You don't really have that many problems left. So work on the tacos. The rest of the world. We have a lot of issues that we're working on. So we, we're going to get to the tacos a little bit later. So, well, Matt, tons of news this week. Lots of interesting thing, uh, things are happening, you know, both good and bad. So I thought we would start with uh, this quote from uh, Benedict Evans. I guess it's a tweet, right? And he had this idea. It's like um, picking up on the, the famous Mark Andreessen quote, software eating the world. So his corollary to that is uh, software ate the world. So all the world's problems get expressed in software. And I think this is a really easy and simple way to think about it is that so many of the problems that I think that we think about with software today are really just human problems. And I think, you know, you wanted oh, yeah. to talk a little bit about like privacy seems to be problem number one. It's maybe through the beginning of time, like, I don't know, maybe going all the way back to prehistoric times, maybe First, somebody had a cave, and then somebody started to like run in the cave and like monitor what they were doing and, and grab all their stuff. Maybe that was the beginning of of the privacy problems. Yeah, cave BNB. Yeah, but it seems like this is just an endless cycle of you know, as a society, right, or just multiple societies trying to figure out what is the level of privacy that we as just individual human beings both want and deserve, and at the same time, we can reap some benefits of, you know, if you will, ad-based services, right? And I think it seems like we're constantly having this. And so you had, this was actually um, two things that you, you pointed out this week, and maybe you can talk a little bit about it. One is what, what was going on with this health records company? I guess they, they were automatically pushing opioids when someone actually, like, yeah. when I, so what, what's the story yeah. behind this one? Well, I mean, kind of, kind of uh, running off, off of what you're talking about, if you look at the headlines in the news, I mean, everything right now is related to tech. You know, you've got uh, you've got Trump going nuts on Twitter. You've got uh, Bezos' phone being hacked on WhatsApp. Uh, and this one was about uh, apparently some doctors don't like to pay for software, um, just like the enterprise. And <laughs> like the rest and, of us. And, and, and this company, uh, Practice Fusion, provides ad-based uh, – medical software to small independent doctors and they cut a deal with an opioids manufacturer to nudge the recommendations for painkiller pills um when a doctor's like oh you know customer you know patient see i said customer not patient (laughs) at this point they're a customer right Right. you know they're they, they they have you know the the hippocratic oath is gone here they they have crossed the line from becoming you know the patient to the product and the nudge the recommendations to recommend more opioid prescriptions anytime pain is entered in the medical record. And so, you know, they paid, I think it said the $145 million fine uh, about this. But at some point, like some software developer, you know, did not stand up to some product manager <laughs> who, who, 
didn't stand up to whoever cut this shady ass deal. And, you know, this is just backing, you know, the sort of opioid epidemics that we're seeing throughout the U.S. Um, I like to think that other countries are a little less risk. Uh, uh, susceptible to this. Not a lot of ad-based healthcare in the outside the U.S., but wow. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. So I think you know this seems like one of these cases that's just so extreme. You just how did I mean to your earlier point? Like how did this even get to market? Um, but I do think you know it brings up this other question, and I think you know this is another link that you found is that you know you, there's uh, kind of this running you know battle between advertisers and various websites, advertising strategies versus ad blockers, right? You're, I think that you're leading the charge on the ad blockers. Every time we talk, oh, yeah. you've, you've identified another uh, ad blocker or um, you know, some other way that you're tricking the, the ad software into not bothering you. But you found a way this week. It's a, it's a website that you actually pay. looks like you pay, what, $5 per month? And I, I guess it kind of just acts as like a proxy to all the other websites and, and well, if you will, removes all the ad tracking. Is that how it works? Um, so I guess, uh, there's, there's a, a new, a new thing launching called scroll. Uh Um, and they are an aggregator for various, you know, newspaper, uh, newspaper, there's no paper involved, um, for, for media companies, uh, kind of like, you know, Apple news, uh, where, you know, they sit in front of a bunch of different websites. And if you, I, I, I haven't signed up yet. Um, but if you use their service, uh, which appears to work with all the browsers or their standalone app, um, it will cut off all the ad tracking. It'll cut out all the ads, and you know, give you a you know pristine-ish uh, web uh, web experience for a bunch of fairly popular media sites. Uh, you know, like things like Gizmodo and 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 the like. Um, sounds interesting. Uh, I assume <clears throat> I assume they're still tracking you. <laughs> uh, you know, because they have to figure out how to pay their customers, mm-hmm. or you know, th- their customers being the media companies and you. Um, so that you know, they're they're still tracking you, and they they said they're not going to disable, um, like uh, metrics tracking that kind of stuff. So they'll they'll still be tracking page views, but they won't be targeting you for additional advertisements. And so if uh, that's the part that I'm kind of paranoid about, um, I saw something recently, how, you know, Facebook, Facebook uh, added, you know, some sort of new ad tracker uh, and they added opt out pages, but it took like nine pages of <laughs> checkboxes to actually right. opt out. Um, the, the ACLU, I think had some tweets about that, about how to do it. Um, but you know, the, the, I'm cautiously optimistic about this uh, the scroll thing. I mean, I'm not against paying for content. I'm against being the content. Right. Right. And well, so I know that's, that's a couple. Kind of my take. I was gonna say a couple of things. Like one, I know most of the browsers now are what banning third party cookies. Right. So that seems yeah. like that. Of course, I was reading about that, and it sounds like everyone's like, "Oh, that's fine," because they've all invented <laughs> like other ways to well, like do it. So, so it is. It is one of the things like yeah. that. Thanks for solving like uh, the last decade's problem. I guess no one's really yeah. using that anymore. So that is interesting. But I don't need to bring the conversation around to like is is any tracking acceptable? So I go, you know, at least here in the United States, you know, during way back in uh, the Stone Ages here when we were kids, you know, essentially TV and it still is done today. The way that they track people that watch TV is the Nielsen ratings, right? Which is still yeah. I think pretty manual. They they just 
for a, uh, a selected group of people, a statistically valid sample. They put in these little boxes, and they basically you know record what people watch, but not really just for them. They they are a representative sample for like all of a certain demographic, right? So that's yeah. how advertisers get to say like one, like what are the demographics watching their shows, and then two. I think it's mostly how TV companies set ad rates, right? So if you want to reach, you know, men between 18 and 35, right, it's likely ESPN is going to be, you know, one place to go, right? And there's right. many other things. So I don't know. Like, I, I don't think, as I think back on it, like, I don't think any of us ever got upset by that, right? Because it's, it's, you're, it's if you will, the, uh, the demographic you're in is big enough such that it isn't really about you. It's more just a very generalized statement. Um, and the ads are never great because there's obviously stuff that you really aren't interested in, well, but they're yeah. tolerable. Like you don't feel, uh, you don't feel like the surveillance kind of, uh, a surveillance state, right? It's just like, well, if I want to watch the football game, the cost I have to pay is I'm going to watch like three bur- uh, beer commercials, you know, maybe like a Dick sporting <laughs> ads and like, you know, kind yeah. of the typical stuff. Um, yeah. but like, do you, what, what's your take on that? Like, were we okay? Are we, are we okay with that level of, uh, tracking? See, that wasn't really, that wasn't really targeted. They mm-hmm. didn't know who I am. I mean, I, who was it? I think it was, um, on, not on the media. It was, uh, uh planet money had a podcast about, uh, billboards. And the billboards are hooking into these electronic advertising networks to tailor stuff to you as you walk past. Right. So this and is so like Minority the, Report style, right? This is like old school. It, like you walk in and, hello, Brandon, are those jeans yeah. working out for you? It's here today, okay. right? Uh-huh. I mean they're, they're literally you know, from all the ad trackers and location trackers in your phone. They know where you are. That gets cross-listed into all these ad networks. And so they were saying literally there are billboards today that know who you are as you stand in front of them and will personalize content to you. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I mean I'm literally like – thinking you know do i do i get some sort of uh you know sheath for my phone so it's you know it's constantly offline except when i need calls and that's the problem like flip people phone, to flip phone me, my like, friend old school yeah yeah so mm. you know go through go through your privacy settings in your phone disable location for everything that does not actually need location right you know which, there's a surprising number of apps asking for your location you know um so that was kind of horrifying, and you know the the reporter on, on the show was you know kind of asking the the representative from the billboard company. And he's like, "Oh yeah, this is great. It's the future." And she's like, "Isn't this kind of creepy?" He's like, "It's the future." <laughs> <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter if it's creepy. Uh, it's kind of like the future. So you can kind of like, well, you can lean into it and accept it, or you can you know, I don't know, fight the pointless fight like i kind of choose done. to well but i think what we want but it, you know kind of back to benedict evans thing here right it's like well these this is just privacy is going to be isn't going to be an online ongoing concern you know with with just society in general like you know today it's the internet tomorrow i don't know what it will be like it'll be something in the future that will you know start to bring privacy questions in there and i think you know maybe the way that to think about it is kind of what we we're talking about before it's there's a level of advertising i would call it like where we're all kind of grouped into some type of uh, demographic, which I think I, I'm going to say I'm going to go on the limit and say like we're we're okay with that. So back to your billboard example, yeah. if the if they just want to run ads based on some statistical sample of like kinds of people that walk by this billboard yeah. at certain times, yeah. like I think it's totally fine. Like I think that's fine, right? And that's that just seems like smart business, right? The um, 
I mean, but when it gets into it, and I get this like micro level targeting, right? Which I understand why people want it, but I think this is maybe where we like it's almost like a privacy bill of rights. It's like no, like at some point, maybe as a group of people, would you say like we? While we all understand the benefits of micro targeting, if we were selling something as a business, right? <laughs> we don't want as a you know we don't want to be micro targeted all the time. Like so, like we don't want to be in a cohort that's any less than like probably tens of thousands, right? You know that that way right. we can preserve some level of on. Uh, anonymous behavior that isn't, you know, kind of in, encroaching on us. So I think, you know, that's what I'd kind of like to see the conversation go. And it's, you know, whether it's back to, you know, Facebook or any of the social teams, right? I mean, because they've got it down to the point where, like, it's not only micro-targeting. It feels like they, they even by, like, the time of day and what you're doing, like, they're, you know, it's not just you, well, but it's like, what are you most susceptible to, susceptible to right this second, right? And it's like, that's just too much. And they're they're gathering all this data without knowing what they're going to do with it, and it's not like they get rid of the data. You know, that's that's what's kind of creepy is, is someone um, pointed out that Amazon is keeping track of your clicks and your Kindle. So, like when you're Hist- reading a book, historic. like when you're like, okay. yeah. So, so you're like, what do you even do uh, with yeah. that, though? You're like, oh, Brandon got tired know. on this paragraph. I, yeah. I don't know, but but that's the thing. It's like, what are they doing with it? Why do they even need that data, yeah. right? So, the, so I mean, I could see maybe they're using it for fraud detection or something like that, but they're not getting rid of that data. That's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like all this data about you, everywhere you've ever been, everything you've ever done, everything you've looked at, everything you've clicked on, it's being stored. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's the part that's creepy is like, you know, I, I don't really care if somebody says, oh, you know, there's a 45 year old guy walking down the street and, you know, 60 percent of the people who walk past this billboard are males in this age range. Let's, you know, change the content. But I don't want something saying like, hey, Matt, three months ago you were shopping for a, you know, a jacket to go skiing. Are you still looking? Because, you know, we've got a sale in here and, you know, your wife says this, you know, was saying this on Facebook. Maybe she wants you to go skiing. It's like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't need that level of, nobody wants that. Nobody wants um, that. No one's and, in and, the micro targeting. Yeah. Well, I do say the one thing I maybe before we get off this topic completely, is like the one thing I will say is like, I am more and more, uh, when I look at like the location based apps, like different ones, like, uh, some of them, I really like their experiences, and I don't know if you want to call them advertising or just like workflow automation. But you know, here, uh, at least here in the United States, we've got this place called Sonic. It, it serves nothing but bad food, so you should never eat there. But if you do, they have this app, right? In Sonic app, you can just go on there, you can order, and you can pick the restaurant you're you're going to go to. And then when you pull up, the way it is, they have like all these different stalls, right? Sort of like you, know, you can order and eat from your car, sort of how it's built out. But when you've done it on the app, you just like you pull in and then you just uh, say, I'm here. And then you type in the number of like the stall you're at. And then on the, their little uh, kiosk there, they tell you, they're like, you know, welcome back, Brandon. And then they say like, so-and-so is on your way, right? And it's just like a magical ordering experience. It is. I yeah. love it. And it's like, and it's very much uh, in Chick-fil-A, not quite the good app. But not quite quite there because you still have to go through the drive through and you have to like say like like hey I'm, I ordered on the app so there's like a little bit of interaction there but at least you know at least they don't have to like you know take your order and you have to go through the whole process of like did you want a diet coke or regular you know that whole like kind of back and forth with your kids like can I get a milkshake like you can get all that worked out right like all that's like right. worked out when the order is there so like some of these things like you know like I call them like. I like to think of like work. And then of course at a conference, like if there's, this is sometimes rare, but like if an app has like a good conference app or like, you know, when you're in a, like a big, uh, 
you know, what maybe a DevOps days, but that's actually probably not going to have it, but like a bigger conference, <laughs> like an RSA yeah. or something yeah, that, like VM, something VM where VM like yeah. they're constantly updating where the sessions are and where there's information. And like, they, it's like, there are places where I think it works well that I personally do like, I think it's just, it's almost like you're opting in, you're doing things. And like, of course they're getting information. Of course, Chick-fil-A is like getting my orders. They know what I have. And like, and I'm fine with it. Like, in fact, the next time yeah. I often order the same stuff over again. So there's things like that that I do like. And then there's, but there is this sort of like, you know, I don't know what we call it, like spam based surveillance that like, I think we all want to turn down. I want less yeah. of that. So, all right. Well, that's enough on privacy. I think we, we've solved all the, uh, the problems. <laughs> I don't think we solved anything. We done. just ranted for a bit, but. Done and done. Uh, well, we got some stuff okay. off our chest. It made, made us feel good. Um, I, I, I had to get that off my chest. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, maybe maybe we should do it. You know what we should do? We'll check back with you, Matt, and we'll see if you subscribe to Scroll <laughs> in a few weeks. And you can tell us uh, if it's actually working. Um, but we did have a couple, you know, kind of on a sad note, but a note that I think is something worthy of talking about. Uh, Clayton Christensen, he's the, you know, probably the guru of uh, disruptive innovation. He, you know, certainly wrote Innovator's Dilemma and many other books, and sa- tragically or sadly, I guess he died after a long battle with cancer. But I thought it was an interesting way to think about like so much of high tech marketing today is all around like disruption and things like that. And so there's a couple of things that came out this week. One, there's an article about its title here after Kubernetes victory, its former rivals uh, changed tact. So I think they're really talking yeah. mostly about uh, our friends over at, uh, I'm never going to say it right. It's like day two operations or a day two IQ or something. Isn't that the old, uh, day two IQ. Yeah. yeah. And then our friends at Docker. So, I guess the question, you know, going forward, and I, I think that article was interesting um, because it, it sort of touched on the thing that I think is interesting is like this was a, a this happened so quickly it's almost going to be like a footnote, right? Like I feel like it even goes into it says like you know this idea of like there was like wars over container orchestration. It's like it never even got started, right? There was just like well, there's going to be yeah. a lot of container orchestrators, and then I uh, know everyone's just using Kubernetes. Like it happened like it felt like in a week. Yeah, I mean, reading reading the article was just like. It was that little time ago. I mean, it said, you know, Mesosphere launched in 2013. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, that may, may, maybe to some of our listeners that feels like a long time ago, but that doesn't, you know, it feels like Mesosphere kind of came in and went. Uh, they're, they're still around. They have a new name. But, you know, that, that launch just seems like it just happened. I mean, things are moving so fast at this point. Um, it does make it kind of you know scary to think about you know trying to launch a new enterprise infrastructure software company at this point. You know, there's how fast can you get co-opted and and uh, re- you know replaced by one of the the big cloud vendors. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, Mesosphere and then what did it say Docker was 2015? Yeah, yeah it's pretty 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 recent. So I don't know. I mean, I you know I come back to like you know this idea in this case. You know, maybe it's the lesson here is at least in this IT infrastructure space, like all of the vendors, all of us are so keen to disruption. Any of it, like even the slightest hint of it, attracts so much attention that you know you aren't really like. Because I think if you go back and read Christensen's book, right, he talks about like being these long periods where like some other technology is largely ignored by the incumbents as being like a toy or insufficient or that it doesn't happen. 
And then what, um, what happens over time, those businesses get real big and then suddenly they start to cannibalize like the new, right? Or not, sorry, they don't cannibalize the new, they cannibalize the old businesses. And so in the case of Kubernetes, maybe it's, it's, it's all, all of the industry learning the lesson from um, disruption of, hey, if there's even a chance that this could be the, the IT platform of the future, everyone yeah. has to be in on it. Like there's no, yeah. let's let Docker you know, play around for 20 years and then suddenly right. displace all of VMware and everything that, about it. So, so maybe that is a, a, an example of a well, lesson learned there. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to uh, another one of the A16Z podcast uh, talking about um, you know platforms of the future, and it was an interview with uh, Mark Andreessen, and you know he was talking about the the leap from from mainframes to computers to virtualization to you know to cloud, and you know he's talking about AI and ML as a platform, and you know they kind of said, well, you know we don't know who the the number you know, who's going to be the biggest vendor in 10 years, but it's still going to be Amazon, Microsoft, Google. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like they've they've built this moat around themselves where anything that has the hint of disrupting their business, they will embrace it and, you know, tack it onto their offering faster than anything. So, uh, which means that, you know, your plans as a startup of becoming, you know, the next Microsoft are quite far-fetched. Um your plans for acquisition are looking, you know, pretty good if you have, you know, some good idea, but you're just going to get bolted onto somebody else's platform as a feature, uh, which maybe that's been the case for a while. It felt like there was a longer ramp to that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, here we are talking about the rise and fall of Docker in less than five years. Yeah. So um, not that, you know, not that they've completely fallen, but, you know, yeah, it's, but they definitely have to do something yeah, different, right? They, they cleaved off half their business to give it to Mirantis, and now they're in the application automation space. Right. Well, so, which I think touches on this other article that came out this week. So uh, Steve O'Grady, Red Muck analyst uh, yeah. and uh, longtime Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, so he wrote a piece this week, you know, how to compete with AWS, which I think is like kind of like, you know, in the world of IT, it might, that might as well be like conversation starter, right? It's just like, oh, like, what do you think? Like, AWS is so big, what will happen? So I'll just read, you know, it's, uh, it's a good article. You should go read it. But I think he kind of summarizes his, his position this way. He says, uh, is it possible to envision a world in which Microsoft competes with Amazon, not by bringing to market a wider, faster, or cheaper bucket of infrastructure parts, but with a more complete developer experience that is seamlessly integrated from inception to promotion to production. And I think he's kind of, uh, if you read the rest of the article, he's really talking a lot about um, Microsoft's uh, acquisition of GitHub, right? It's yeah. sort of like being that, like, it, um, so I don't know, like, I, I'll just kind of put my cards on the table. It's like, I have to say, like, wasn't particularly like moved by this one, right? And it's like because I I have been in I guess a number of places where this is like a well known thing that people say. People will say, you know, AWS developer experience is not that is not as good as other people. And I I would actually go further and say that I don't think Microsoft necessarily has the best developer experience. I think I don't know. My own informal surveys has Google often has is often cited as having a better developer experience, mm-hmm. but then missing. The problem is they will then say is like, well, Google GCP, I'm talking about, is just missing some things that they need. So I don't know. I mean, I just wanted your take. Like, I feel like developer experience is often cited as a place to compete. But like, I think when you push into it, it's like, I don't necessarily think there's like a ton of differentiation that can really happen here as as a way to really meaningfully compete with AWS. Your thoughts? I don't think think it's a primary battlefront. I think at this point, 
between these vendors, there are so many battlefronts. There's so many sides to the war, right? They're having their AIML war. They're having their developer experience war. They're having you not they're not having a price war um you know they're having you know performance war they're you know which markets are being served are they and you know available in these countries are they available to these government services so there's a lot of you know battlefronts you know beating this war metaphor to death you know there are a lot of fronts that they're competing on um and any little advantage is helpful but none of them are going to be the thing that sets it all apart you know so you know, traditionally, Microsoft's had a better enterprise relationship. Um, that's an advantage. Traditionally, Google's had a better, you know, tech experience for the techies. Maybe that's an advantage, but it doesn't seem to be, you know, winning any sort of big wars for them, or, you know, any any big uh, confrontations for them. Um, but but you know, my takeaway from from the article about competing with Amazon is essentially don't. You know, don't think you're going to go head on against them. Go into something that they're t- tangentially interested in where they're not going to bring the full pressure of, you know, the AWS experience on your little industry uh, or your, you know, your little business to crush you completely be over there and, you know, be the, be the sales force, be the workday, be the something that is not in their crosshairs uh, where you, you know, perhaps, perhaps are competing a little bit, but you know, they're, they're kind of busy, you know, fighting with Walmart and Microsoft already. Right. Uh, so you're not you're not going to compete with them head to head. Just full stop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, well, I think the one thing I I liked his framing of the article, um, and he uses the the term primitives, which I actually like better than what I think we often end up talking is like infrastructure as a service or things like that. But his point is, you know, at this point, all of these vendors are competing in the primitive. So like basically compute, network, storage, right? All of that is, is really where all of the money is going. So and if and well, it's also worth to note like Google, Microsoft, and um, at least at the time of this recording, Amazon's not there, but they're all essentially trillion dollar companies. So it gives you a sense of because if we think about the other people that are often left out of like at least being in the big three, like Oracle and IBM, like we think of those as huge companies, but they are in some cases an order of magnitude market cap smaller, right? So, so, so when we think about like, oh, I'm going to compete in this, this mega cloud, uh, you know, space, like, I mean, going against someone who has a trillion dollars, like they're going to open data centers faster than you. I mean, it's just, you know, it's going to happen. So, well, um, not, not only are they going to open data centers, they're going to go to the vendors who you want to buy from and get exclusive deals where they just, you know, won't sell to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's it, the sort of power they can throw around and, you know, maybe that's monopolistic, but mm-hmm. at this point they're cross country bigger than other countries. So, you know, they're going to have a hard time bringing them down. Um, it's, it's a little daunting. Um, but, but the things that, you know, these primitives, that's just table stakes, right? Everyone expects all those things to be there. So then how do you compete, you know, if you don't even have the table stakes yet? Yeah. And I think this is, well, this is where I was going as I sort of like, you know, trying to think about like, well, if I don't think developer experience is necessarily the way to go, I I think if you're really going to compete in some meaningful way and like have a chance to like, if you will, disrupt AWS, it's doing something that, sort of like makes just what you said, like makes this idea of like having all this primitives, like it makes it like either table stakes or it makes it a liability, right? So this idea that like, hey, they built all this stuff that's really complicated because frankly, right now that's what you need. This is how you need to build IT today. But if you were to come at it from another way, it's like, no, I'm actually going to do it in a way 
that I have completely abstracted all this primitive stuff away from you. Like you, and I think, you know, I don't want to even you say platform as a service because I think that sort of term has been played out and beaten to death. But like, uh, I don't know what it is, right? I mean, I guess it's the nature of disruption. Like, so I don't know exactly where it's going to come from. Maybe our, you know, our friend, uh, you know, Mark Hingle, like his, his trigger mesh, right? I mean, like people are just coming at it like at a way of like, no, this is all wrong, right? You're only going to write but, functions yeah. or you're only going to do... Like there's this other mechanism or method or paradigm, and this is the way we think. Because if you if it did gain, gain traction, then suddenly, you know, what is today's you know state of the art becomes tomorrow's legacy. It's like yeah, AWS is complicated because they have all this other stuff, but this new way um, is the future, right? And it gives a company like it needs to be something along those lines to me. But yeah, but the the you know the point of of you know functions as a service is like well start with Amazon and yeah. everyone else has it and now that, too right? Mm-hmm. right you know it's just it became it became table stakes it right is. so they co opted it pretty fast and you know if you want you're not disrupting Amazon you're just kind of you know disrupting the legacy stuff and oh we're, what better place to run it well you know one of the three big clouds all right well let me give you one more then the other one i was trying to think about but i get what you're saying like no but i think like, well, may, I was give maybe you... maybe some sort of cultivated pass experience where it's end to end like i just i write some code and everything is handled for me and i never have to think about the infrastructure yeah that sounds wonderful mm-hmm. um but that also that's not the reality of most enterprises. I would, and, I would, not today. You know, not today. But yeah. I, I, the only one I was going to throw at you would be, um, you know, like I sit here, I've got the Synology box I play around with. I think you were like buying, you were trying to buy some kind of computer the other day on the internet for something, right? Like a window, you're, you're trying to run something locally. If some, if somebody even told you to do it on Raspberry Pi. But you're like, no, I got some oh, Windows. Kubernetes. Yeah. yeah, I got some Windows machines. So, so let's just imagine a world of like, okay, because this is always hard to do too. It's like, well, like, you know, Imagine if you had the power of a data center in a very small form function, right? Like eventually right. it com- comes out and it's like, so that would probably kind of follow this path of like, you know, you, you being the poster child for it. It's like, yes. well, let's just all grab one. And like, uh, even my son, really, really young, like we just, we, he has a Raspberry Pi. Like we get stuff and we're just like playing around with it. Like obvious, right? right, right. Like, that's why I have the Synology. I don't need it. Like I just like play around with it. And it's another thing. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe as you look down the future, like maybe there is this like potentially either similar or you know slightly well, simplified yeah. programming method and then there's like you know what is the equivalent of an amazon data center you can just kind of like put under your desk right and play yeah, around with yeah. it and like do people start to then say sure i can it's um you know it's just as easy for me to buy this one-time cost and i can kind of play around with it and i can even start hosting stuff that's actually like relatively um has some scale and then like maybe down the road i'll get the data center but i've, I've got this whole other path right and it's like it's almost like embracing this idea of like uh not even a developer cloud. It's just like, hey, like edge computing and a really powerful servers. It's like it's just as easy for me to do it locally as it is to actually um, go out and subscribe to something and like worry about all the access management and something like that. So like, is there a day that that thing could kind of pop up and be ignored for a while, and then suddenly people are like, hey, I built some some pretty I, impressive company off this. Yeah, I, I think they're. You know, I mean, essentially, essentially, you're <laughs> arguing in favor of like uh, having your own data centers again, and and I mean, there, there's definitely when you start thinking about things like 5G and edge computing, yeah, that is a frontier that could kind of you know edge out some of the potential growth of you know public clouds. 
um, which is why they're reaching into data centers. They're, you know, they're definitely intrigued in things like, you know, satellite, you know, intake right. and, and all these other ways to make it easier to get your data into them. So they will find ways for, you know, they will probably to compete against that, just lower the prices of ingest, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Make it so like, Oh yeah, you could totally run, you know, we'll, we'll give you, you know, we'll give you Lambda on an Alexa device and, you know, you can put a bunch of those in there and, you know, send your data into here and we'll make that for free. Yeah. And so it's like they'll just, you know, subsidize the cost of competing with any sort of edge stuff uh, by just, you know, giving it away rather than, you know, I, I think there's definitely going to be a lot of growth on the edge. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of, you know, small embedded devices. I'm a big fan of, you know, personal privacy and, and you know, kind of keeping your compute to yourself. I'm actually starting to come around on some of the Apple stuff, thinking <laughs> like, oh, well, at least at least they've got my privacy in mind. You know, um, yeah, they do. You know, so. All right. Well, let's yeah. just bring it to end. This concludes uh, the section, <laughs> the segment of Brandon <laughs> trying to convince Matt of, of any um, potential ways to disrupt Amazon. So I think we're going to summarize this with what you said before. Uh, don't compete with AWS. Uh, in, in, in my case, just partner with them and they're fine. Like, just work yeah. with them. That's what we do. So, um, uh, but no, it's not going away. <laughs> it's not going uh, away, but like it, we're not, we're not, we have, we have not identified uh, the AWS uh, disruption strategy. So somebody else do it. And when you figure it out, we'll talk about it on the podcast. Somebody else. Yeah. One of the Looking listeners. Yeah. Now, one of the things you know, I spend a lot of time talking about is helping people, uh, you know, trying to like migrate to the various clouds. And it's a lot of times it's image migration, but uh, of course, people need to rebuild these servers. So, luckily, Matt, you get uh, your friends, you, not your friends, you, the chef people, <laughs> have. Uh, and hopefully, they're. I don't know. That's another question. Hopefully, they're your friends. <laughs> people well, like yeah, chef. Like, get away from what, them. <laughs> what's up? Chef had a nice big release of of Habitat here. So like, I don't know. What like, what do I need to know? What what do I need to know about this thing? Uh, so so Habitat uh, hit uh, one dot five. So we we skipped the whole one dot and went to one dot five. Um, I think customers were like, when are you going to call it one dot We've been running this in production for a year. Like, uh, so marketing made the call. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll release it, uh, uh, essentially like Habitat is application automation, like packaging your applications to make it easier to run no matter where they go, whether it's, you know, on-prem, uh, on virtualization in Docker and Kubernetes, it's complementary to all those things. It standardizes how you build and package and, uh, deploy your apps. Um, so yeah, uh, we had a major release. Uh, the the big takeaway highlight is the on-prem support. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the behind, there it is. The that's for me, Matt. That was for me. I'm right? gonna be running that this was, at my house. You, right? uh -huh. That's that's what's been uh, the customers that I get to deal with uh, here in APAC. Um, I only like one or two of them. Only one of them I would call cloud native. Okay. And I have a bunch of big big customers. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of machines, and most of them are on-prem VMware behind the firewall. And yeah, this is this is exciting for for them and us. Okay. So, uh, well, yeah, will it help me with this problem? Because this is like yeah. this is something I um, hopefully I will not out anyone by ha having this conversation. But like, <laughs> here's what I see a lot of. This is what I see a lot of. It's like um, people have created VMs, and there's sort of like this is the approach to creating the VM. Like they get it all created, they get the image and everything ready to go, and then they do everything they can to never touch it again. Like everyone's yeah. like, do not touch that VM, right? So, and they just keep that image and deploy in, you know, up and down wherever they want. Um, 
for as long as humanly possible. Like there's like no one is like it is almost like no no don't don't touch the image. Do not change the image in any way. And it just yeah. it goes on for years. I mean this is like years. And then something bad happens. Like there are numerous things, <laughs> right? Like end of life. <laughs> yeah, end of life. We've talked about that. Or it's just like they have to upgrade the application because it just it's just time and you know for like compliance reasons or whatever. And uh, at that point, people, and so then at that moment, they have to touch the VM, right? And it's like, whoa, whoa, the guy that created, or the person, I say the man or woman that created the VM, they have long left the company. We're not sure why, what's on the VM. We're not sure what, what exactly is going on. And there's a lot of migration tools. So there's yeah. a lot of, and then, but there's this moment where we have to rebuild the VM. It's, like, it's almost like, it's almost becomes like a support group of people. It's like, I hate to break it to you. We're going to have to rebuild the VM. No, we can't just we can't do image migration. We're going to have. So I often think of like you and Habitat. It's like once a year, <laughs> it's almost like, you know, cleaning out your closet. Once a year, yeah. you should make everybody in your company be like, we're rebuilding every one of these servers. Right. right and they right. And, and we should do it. And, they, and instead of like they have to do it manually, it's like you, you should be able to do this all the time because it's just like a, a version of chaos monkey. It's like something happened. It's a ca catastrophe. We got to yeah. like rebuild everything and we shouldn't like necessarily assume that we knew how to do it. So let's take the time to automate it. Right. So, so can, right. can habitat help me with this problem? Can it help me and my yes. millions of friends yeah. with this issue? <laughs> so, so, so habitat helps that problem mm -hmm. by isolating the application away from the OS. Yes. So all the things that your application needs to run get bundled together mm -hmm. and versioned and strictly controlled so you know exactly what's inside your application. And so if the OS is like, oh, we got to go from 2012 to 2016 to 2019, it's like Habitat don't care. Mm -hmm. Like Habitat is just like, all right, put me on that machine and I will run. I already had your dependencies. I don't care what that what you do with that OS. So so when you decide, oh, I need to go from physical to virtual to Docker, you don't actually rebuild your application. You just kind of move it along, and uh, that's what it's doing. It's, it's insulating you away from the OS. So uh, it, it protects you from what you're talking about. I agree. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. So I want to live in – I just want to like, – for everyone listening, I want to live in a world <laughs> where I get on a conference calls, and, I say, and someone says to me, Hey, don't no problem. We're using Habitat. We've isolated the applications. We can just re we can replatform, yes. reimage as soon as we need to. We're, wherever we're moving to, like one of our favorite cloud providers, it's not going to be a problem at all. We're not going to have to go through a very long discovery process and you know lots of different VMware migrations. We know exactly how to rebuild this, and we're and well, we're confident yeah. it's going to work. That's the world I want to live in, Matt. Yeah, it, it separates your operating system problems from your app problems. Okay, right? well, that's fine. I'll so, take that. That's a step forward. That's a great yes. step forward. So, right. Yeah, so you can actually roll back because you never had any state on that box. Now, you still have your whole like you know data consistency. You know that's that's always somebody else's right. problem. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm gonna I did uh, uh, you know a micro targeting uh, survey of this podcast, and I can say 99 percent of the people listening to this need to use Habitat because all of you, all of you people. <laughs> have created these manual VMs, every single one of you. And you all know who you are. You've created yeah. these images. And if I came to you, you're like, we need to rebuild it. You'd be like, oh, no, we can't do that. So if, if that is your case, you well, need to yeah, use we did, we, something like Habitat. We, we, we did have some good conversations in the Slack. Uh, definitely, definitely fans of things like Packer. Uh, to build that OS uh, consistently from scratch. Uh, I mean, from source, not from scratch, from mm -hmm. source. You know, so uh, 
uh, Packer uh, plays well with with Habitat, and uh, you know, um, I I'm actually going to be giving a talk at uh, Hashi Talks uh, in February about uh, Chef Tools and and uh, Terraform. So you know, Habitat works with Terraform. All you right. know, it's uh, it's all coming together. All right. Everyone, go go watch Matt's talk, and again, decouple <laughs> your operating system from your application. Make my life a lot easier, guys. That's what I would yes. really appreciate. Team team but, team, get but, on it. Everyone, get on that. We're not ch- telling you to change technologies because I saw that uh, uh, we got COBOL on the Kubernetes finally. That's fine. So. We're good. We're good with the COBOL. <laughs> we're good. Like we're good with old applications. What we're ba- what we're, we don't like is coupling. The coupling that is killing yeah. us. Right. Old applications are fine. We'll make it work for you. All right. We're, we're not fan of, fans of old operating systems. <laughs> That's what we hate. <laughs> That's right. We do. We hate them with the a vengeance. All right. Well, we are Matt D. Definitive Apple Podcast. We that's where people come to us to know because we follow every yeah. single release of Apple, like uh, point by point. So it's the tenth anniversary of the iPad. So I think it's time for us to give our iPad reviews. What do we think? Of, <laughs> what do we think of the iPad? Do you do we like the iPad? Do we hate the iPad? Is it? And uh, I think this has been the tone of so much of the coverage. It's like, is it a disappointment or is it like the next greatest thing? Where do you fall? Uh, well, I still have my original iPad um, that, uh, that that John Willis got me when I started it at uh, at Opscode. Wow. He was like, "Hey, uh, every, all you evangelists, you're gonna need to have iPads to do presentations <laughs> on the road." <laughs> How'd that like, work out? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I still have it. Uh, I don't think I ever, ever gave a presentation off that iPad. Uh, but you know, it's, uh, I watched the movies on it, played some games over the years, uh, surfed some webs. Um, it's still running iOS five. Wow. Uh, it still works. Wow. <laughs> it still works. But, uh, uh, I was actually, I was going to give it to, uh, to, uh, the gym I go to, he uses iPads for, uh, timers. You know, he just like so you can it's see. It's a know, stopwatch, basically. Been. Yeah, it's, I love it's, a, it. it's it's a large screen stopwatch. Yeah, I was gonna sure. give it to him, and my kids were like, "There's this game on that iPad that they never <laughs> ported forward that we want to play," and so I. It's like the Atari of your it. house. It's like don't it get rid of the it Atari. Is. But but uh, my kids have iPad Minis. Uh, I don't know what generation that iPad Mini twos, something like that. Um, I would say at this point, the iPad probably a success. Yeah. Well, I think it is funny. I mean, there's we won't go over it, but Apple released its earnings and they're just like staggering. They made like ninety yeah. plus billion dollars last quarter. So it's like I don't even know. Like, I mean, the success of Apple is like so unprecedented, at least in what they're doing here. It's like there's just nothing to say about it. But you know, I do. I do think it is, it is interesting. Like. I have always dreamt that I could actually just carry an iPad when I travel and get work done, but that has never been the case. Like you just, I just can't do it. Like just what you said, you can certainly watch movies. It's a great thing to like, basically it's the ultimate airplane companion, right? It's a great thing to have on an airplane to like, because you're not necessarily doing uh, heavy like editing text or, you know, presentations, but it's just like you can watch videos, you can kind of text with people. Um, And I think it's just one that, I don't know if it's like, if it's like a cul-de-sac of technology, like it's sort of, like it did invent like a third category of like, it's the ultimate kids computing device when your, your kid gets to become a certain age. It is a, it's relatively low cost compared to a real computer and it allows them to consume stuff and get familiar with technology. So I think that is a hundred percent home run. I think for adults, it's a great way to watch, you know, for the most part, watch videos and just 
occasional consumption. But it is on the business side, I even got one of the old iPad Pros, I guess the old 9.7. I got the keyboard and everything. I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to start doing stuff. And it's like, no, I just like, I can, yeah. you know, I cannot do what I need to do, like do the presentations, respond to email quickly. And I even watch my son as he gets older. Like he's very, he's, he's, he moves to the keyboard and the mouse when he starts to do like more, if you will, creative slash creation activities, writing and things right. like that. So I don't know, maybe, maybe the keyboard and the mouse, as much as we think it's not right, it is the actual, it, that is the solution. Like there isn't really a better metaphor that's come, come along. I mean, I'm, I don't actually use a, a tablet day to day. Uh, I, I, I have, you know, I have a very small phone and I have a relatively small laptop. That's kind of my, you know, my consumption patterns. And I see, I see my kids kind of moving towards that too, where, uh, my oldest, uh, his tablet broke and he never really seemed to want to get a replacement. Um, so he, he, you know, phone and laptop, phone and laptop. That's, that's kind of his pairing, but the youngest ones, they're still, um, you know, and, and my middle one, she's now got a phone. And so, you know, she's got a phone and the tablet and the laptop and the tablet is getting slowly less usage. You know, they, they still consume a lot of content, especially when we travel. But, uh, you know, if, if you are not a, if you're not generating content, I think it's a perfectly suitable thing, you know, uh, but it's definitely defined a whole new category. And, you know, the, the, uh, Sanofsky article about the 10th anniversary of the iPad from the Windows team, you know, mm-hmm. the, their perspective. That was my favorite because he, he, you know, he's got, you know, 10 years of, of uh, <laughs> 10 years of history to go back and look at. And it's like, yeah, we thought it was a toy and, you know, we kind of knew something like that was coming, but we didn't weren't care. worried about it. You know, right. we didn't care. And here's all our reactions. And, you know, and now it's redefined everything and, you know, still leading the way. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not eager to go out and buy a new one. Uh, it's not really my platform of choice, but uh, you know, definitely, definitely change the way we think about computing for most people, right? Most people aren't thinking about like writing code, and you know, they can do a little light text editing, maybe the occasional spreadsheet, like like my parents. I really keep thinking I should switch them over to iPads, but they're you know kicking along with their Mac Mini that you know is five years old, so. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest thing is like, you know, what you, as you kind of started this whole conversation with, you know, your, your iPad is 10 years old and it still works. And like, really, the only time I haven't gone as far as you, but like, the only time you get rid of an iPad is just when the operating system, like, it just when it won't update anymore, when it won't give you the latest updates. It's like, okay, well, it's time to get rid of it. Because otherwise, they just work. I mean, they just seem to yeah. work forever. And then, you know, I don't even know what chip they're on, like the A12 Bionic. It's like, I don't even know. The A9 or whatever the one I'm on, like fast enough, like plenty it's, fast, right? So, it's faster than my Raspberry Pi. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, okay, well, a couple other things. You know, maybe we'll just uh, we'll touch on this real quickly. Just, you know, maybe we should just like leave it this way. Like, hey, be nice to your friends at VMware. Looks like they had some some bad news. Some people uh, are out looking for jobs. A lot of people on Twitter. So like, probably some really talented people. That guy caught in the wrong place. So if you're looking to hire people, you know, go check out VMware. I think this is something that we never really talk about in tech. Like a lot of companies just have this annual, like, I guess they call it rebalancing. It's just, a, yeah, it's just an yeah. awful word. But it's just, you know, a bunch of people get caught up in the wrong place on the wrong projects at the wrong time. And so uh, they get laid off. So, but but doesn't mean, you know, I always tell anybody that happens to them, it's like, it's usually less about you, more about the company and the well, projects. Like the size. And, yeah, yeah, especially the size of the companies. You know, I mean, we've we've been caught up in that before. When you work at a, you know, a, a company with 
you know, thousands of people and they're just given mandates of, you know, hey, you need to cut 10 percent, you know, and it's like, well, what if I have a team of, you know, seven and, you know, they're all high performing. They're like, cut one. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't really get it. the management layers are told, you know, you have to do this. And uh, sometimes it feels kind of indiscriminate. It does. It does. So I don't. But but that said, there's probably lots of people hiring on this show. So like, I don't know, find some of these people. I'm sure they're 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 I'm probably ready to go. Probably would like to yeah. hear about new opportunities. And then Chef, um, chefs hiring. Chefs always hiring. <laughs> yeah, sure, absolutely. There's and there is. There's always a bunch of job. Not let's say a bunch of jobs, but there are people putting jobs out in the job Slack channel. So you can yeah. uh, join Software Defined Talk, get in the Slack channel. Um, there's people posting jobs. You can ask them about it. And so. Man, I didn't want to go without you getting your chance. It sounds like some bad news in Australia. No, I'm not talking about anything to do with fires. I'm talking about Australia slips further in the internet speed rankings. Oh, Matt, man. What? I thought you were sent over there to bring the internet to Australia. It's slowing down? What's going on? Oh, well, yeah. So, so Australia is uh, – they've slipped from number 62 to 69 in the world. Ooh, uh, that's not good. Internet speed rankings. Um they're top 10 when it comes to wireless, but, uh, you know, you're not going to use wireless for watching your yeah, Netflix. Back home. Like, how am I going to yeah, get, my, get my work done? How am I get my Netflix? Yeah. Until I get my unlimited wireless, I'm not going down that path. I think uh, my household's consumption is around two or 300 gigabytes a month. So uh, not really looking to go pay by the gigabyte. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, uh, Australia continues to slip. Um Basically, because all the efforts being put into, um, you know, fiber cable wire, uh, to the home on a five, six-year-old plan, and you know, they've reached ninety-one percent penetration of that, but the target speed is up to a hundred megabit. <laughs> so I'm kicking around at a hundred megabit, and I'm you know, ninety-eighth percentile Australia. So that kind of Kind of stinks. Well, people of Australia, you need to you need to invest in infrastructure. That's all I can tell you. Get it done. Pa- pass some bills. Get some. Pro- uh, I don't know. Private company competition. Get some public uh, grants. You know. I don't know. Do we just need like more fiber from? Uh, I don't know. Where does it go? I guess we go from Australia to what the Asia somewhere. Is that? I don't know. You uh, need, we need to get you into the, the backbone. US yeah. Um, the U.S. invested heavily and in, you know uh, inter continental you know within australia to make mm-hmm. sure that uh, their five eyes network had plenty of bandwidth oh but, that's uh, right that's right we have because like, we, yeah. we always have the u.s we always have some kind of uh, weird need to have internet everywhere so that's good i'm glad uh yeah that's a long but, cable did they really do, is it, does it stop in oh, hawaii yeah, yeah, there, like where does it yeah. go is it in hawaii uh, i think it goes i think it goes straight to uh la wow. or san diego wow yeah Gosh, don't break that one that would be a lot yeah. that would take I, a long th- time th- to there's fix. a couple there's a couple right. and uh you know in new zealand i think goes into australia and then back out so that kind of yeah stinks. well new zealand right it's just, it's just all the same it's just like australia they love it they love it when we say that <laughs> do not say that um yeah so uh get it together it's not getting better anytime soon 5g will save us all all right 5g will save, well absolutely all right well the other thing i'll save you all is if uh, you're looking for something else to listen to after you've listened to our fantastic podcast, go listen to the Arrested DevOps podcast. They've got a lot of interesting tech talk with all kinds of stuff. They're always talking about DevOps days and things like that. So they're our friends. We want you to listen to them. Uh, check them out. And if you're looking for some conferences to go to, we have a bunch of conferences and some conference codes. So there's KubeCon EU. 
The infamous Michael Cote will likely be there. That's March 30th through April 2nd. We've got a 15% off code, which is K-C-E-U-S-D-P-1-5. Looks like a, a randomly generated password. I, I, that's what I think it is. But don't worry. like There's no way you're going to remember that, so it's in the show notes. Just look at the show notes, and you can use that. Um, there's a DevOps Days, Austin. It's coming uh, May 4th and 5th. I'll be there in some capacity doing something. We don't have a discount code. People are asking for it, and I, you know what I did? I was like, go ask no SHJJ. Like, he's going to hook you up. Like, but I don't know. So if you, wanna, if you want a discount code, find JJ. If not, just going to have to pay full price. I think they still have the early bird stuff going. Uh, Matt, you're going to be, I assume, at Chef Conf 2020 in Seattle, June 1st through the 4th, right? Giving some uh, kind yep. of fantastic talk. And then there's uh, DevOps Day Minneapolis, August 6th and 7th. Code, oh, love, love this code, SDT. Let me say it again, SDT. That gets you 10% off that one. Uh, in Minneapolis. And then the that conference, that's in Wisconsin. We had a question from Kote last week. Do they sell calamari at the Kalahari Hotel? The answer is yes, I was told. So yes, go there, eat calamari at the Kalahari. And uh, if, if you want to speak there, they have a conference. Um, speaking uh, slots are open or uh, submissions are open to March 1st. And then, as Matt mentioned, he's going to be at Hashi Talks. It's the virtual conference. It's on February 20th. And um, he's going to be talking about Terraform and Chef and, and all the great things. So that's where you can learn to uh, not hardcore your images forever. And that would help, <laughs> that would help Brandon. Yes. Uh, and, and it's free. And, it's, and it's free. There you go. It's free. No travel. Don't even have to ask your boss. Just watch it, right? Watch it all the time. Had some other quick feedback. Sent stickers to Peter in the UK. Um, I'm not going to say this name right. I think it's Abdullah's in Chicago and Chris in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think I was maybe I personally was complaining about this, uh, about, you know, banking transfers in the United States. So Chris tells me that they are working on it. The Zelle app. If you've seen that, I tried that. Um, so go ahead and uh, figure that out and, and try to use Zelle. But he's, he's telling me they're going to fix the banking thing. And I, of course, sent him a long email with my suggestions, which he didn't ask. <laughs> he didn't, I, and nor, nor did he want. But I was like, hey, here's some thoughts. Uh, and then uh, Peter, you know, don't worry. He, he said he's a huge fan of the bread and taco chat. So, again. We're open. I think we need to reiterate, Matt. We're open to being acquired by a major taco provider. Maybe a taco deli. Maybe a oh, Chewy's. Oh. Like that's another uh, potential. We'll, we're Panera. open to that. But, yeah, yeah any, whatever it is, we can do all of it. So, <laughs> all right. Well, if you haven't had enough of this nonsense, you can also join us in the Slack. If you want stickers, just send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I will be happy to send them any in the world. Someone said, hey, can I send you some money? I said, no, that would be complicated. Just send me your address. I don't need any money for stickers. Uh, and then we have, we have all the, uh, the socials, you know, the Twitter, the Instagram, the LinkedIn, whatever. Um, check all of that out. So, Matt, having said all that, do you have a recommendation for us this week? Uh, you know, um, I... I talked about A16Z's podcast. Uh, they, they had their annual, um, you know, their little Conference, annual summit where, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. they're, where they get, you know, their, their big, uh, their, <laughs> I was going to say their big heads. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're big folks uh, up on stage and, you <laughs> know, partners, celebrity Matt. interviews. They're partners, yes. venture partners. They're, yeah. So, you, you know, they bring in like uh, Kevin Kelly and uh, a couple other folks to interview them and, you know, have back and forth. And, uh, that whole series has been pretty good where they talk about, you know, their thoughts on the future and, you know, looking forward and backward and, and every other direction. So uh, uh, go check out that feed if you haven't subscribed. I'm not telling you to listen to all of them. Some of them get quite dry, especially when they're pimping their own companies. Um, but, uh, you know, 
some of them are really good. Yeah, I think um, a, a good cheat, the fireside chats. Whenever they say it's like a fireside chat, that's probably going to be a good one. Whenever it's like, hey, let me interview so-and-so, you're like, ooh, this could be boring. Yeah, like a deep dive into you know medical regulations and yeah. the future of that. And I'm like, yeah, we... I listened. Yep, five minutes, and I was like, yeah, this isn't getting better. Mm. So uh, yeah, anyway, gen- generally you know high high signal noise. Um, and then uh, my other pick is uh, I was on uh, holiday last week. Uh, went to uh, Byron Bay, had a you know nice holiday uh, Australian holiday vacation, and. Uh, it rained one day. Got to spend a lot of time reading, and I knocked out uh, uh, Daniel Suarez's Freedom, which is uh, if you read his Damon book, it's the sequel. Um, and uh, knocked that out in a day, and very enjoyable, fast read, and uh, highly recommended if you like uh, all this privacy, internet talk, and uh, you know, a lot of action and stuff. Uh, I don't know. It feels it, like they're going to make that into a movie at some point. The whole that those totally, books, yeah. yeah, it's good. I like it though. I'm, I, I'm all in on it. It was like very easy read, great to read. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's like you know the the Tom Clancy of the internet scene. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, good. But it's just like it's just breezy. It's just kind of I don't know. Just need more yeah. of that. It's like you just get in and out. It's just ah, oh, it's just great to read. So I just yeah. fun, fun read. Know, I'm going to add on to that plus one that recommendation. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to give you a triple thread of stuff uh, this week. Uh, I don't know. I've just been into like reading a lot of finance stuff. I just kind of find it's interesting. So, a couple of things that I find more interesting that I I think you should check out. One is Matt Levine's Money Stuff newsletter. It's uh, he writes for Bloomberg, but it's all free. So you just sign up once a day. He writes, you know, pretty lengthy newsletter in a nice conversational tone, which I have to say I often don't like that style but he does a good job and he sort of like kind of covers like weird financial things that are happening but i learn a lot like a lot of stuff i didn't really know about like like investment banking and bonds and like acquisitions and like he kind of like peels back if you will all these like s1s and all these forms and kind of like highlights interesting stuff so if you're interested in that check it out if you want uh some finance talk in the form of a podcast i've been checking out this animal spirits podcast so it's by a couple um wealth managers from like i think it's reinholtz capital and uh, they're just fun to listen to again same kind of thing explaining kind of complicated financial things that are happening and if you want it in video format that same group of people they also have this youtube channel where they do kind of a rapid fire things to know about finance and that's by josh brown and michael batnick so if you're interested at all in finance and things like that you should check out one or all of those things so those are the recommendations this week if you enjoyed this show and you want to uh help us out you know feel free to go into itunes i guess evidently itunes got rid of the star rankings tragedy we had so many star rankings but now it's how just, will people know to listen to i don't us? know but i guess evidently you have to actually type in a sentence or two so i don't it is a lot of work i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie that's probably asking a big deal but if you want to we would appreciate a rating ranking just but type in i would give it five stars if you had five stars <laughs> that would be done cut and paste the internet is, i'm sure I, I can only imagine how many reviews there are like that but uh that's out there and then uh if this is the first time you've ever listened to this show and you want to subscribe just go to software defined talk.com there you'll find all of these show notes and all ton of different ways to uh, subscribe to this podcast so with that we will talk to you next time